0: Jeremy McMahon, meditation teacher, Tibetan Buddhist scholar, and audio engineer. And welcome to Meditating with Friends, a podcast where we explore meditation through friendly conversation. Each episode includes a guided meditation that you are invited to join. If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in working with me one on one to help deepen your meditation practice, send me a message on Instagram at jeremymindfulness. Enjoy the show. Hey, gang, it's your friend, Jeremy McMindfulness here. Coming at you with another episode of Meditating with Friends, uh, where everyone meditates. Uh, This week we're going to be talking to uh, Jerry Walsh. Uh, Now Jerry and I uh, actually met when I was working for the SIT Tibetan and Himalayan Study Abroad program, Uh, so we met in Nepal, Um, and we traveled around to Nepal and uh, Bhutan uh, together, And, and then Uh, You know, I came back, he came back, uh, and we reconnected when I first moved to New York, actually, Uh, and he was living and still is actually living with this spiritual community called Golden Drum. Uh, So we talk a lot about uh, him living in a spiritual community, and I really do appreciate his insight into it, because I personally found it really fascinating what he had to say about, you know, again, living with... spiritual community um and then he's also a musician uh and he is also a meditation teacher as well so he'll actually be leading the meditation uh in this podcast and we'll be featuring music that uh he and his wife uh actually made together uh it's really dope and then lastly i guess since I'm trying to do my weekly highlight thing uh, My highlight for the week Well, it actually didn't happen this uh, past week But um, today I actually got my first dose of the COVID vaccine So, you know, I was trying to be cool about it Be like, yeah, whatever uh, You know, it's still a pandemic, blah, blah, blah But it, I have to say, you know, it does feel pretty good To feel like, you know we're on our way that, uh, pretty soon, you know, before we know it, this whole thing might be over. So anyway, really another fantastic episode. Uh, again, I really appreciate Jerry's, uh, insights, uh, into, uh, what we talk about and I know you will too. So check it out. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, it is your friend, Jeremy McMindfulness, and I am here with, uh, Jerry Walsh, how are you doing today, Jerry?
1: Namaste, Jeremy. It's good to good to hear from you, brother. Namaste.
0: You. Namaste. So uh I guess before we get into you know the proper part of the interview, uh I think it would be pretty interesting if we talked about, you know, how we met each other because <laughs> it is uh-huh. uh pretty unique in that uh you know, basically after I graduated from college, um I worked for the study abroad program called, uh, it's called SIT, Tibetan and Himalayan studies. Uh, it's something like that. I don't remember, remember oh, the It's yeah. like Nepal. Yeah, no, it has a slightly different name, but it's SIT, the School of International Training, which has all these study abroad programs all over the world. And the point is that this is specifically the Tibetan studies program that they do. Uh, and so Jerry, uh, even though, there really isn't that much of an age difference between us. Uh, Jerry was my quote unquote student because uh, I had just graduated from college. Um, and yeah, so Jerry and I met during the second semester I was working there. So um, yeah, so we we focused on the Tibetan and Himalayan studies. We met in Nepal um, and we got to travel around to uh, Bhutan as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. I just love that program, and and to me, like being a student on that program, and also being a teacher on the program you know no I, though I wasn't really much of a teacher no, I, wouldn't,
1: I wouldn't put yourself down then do
0: you? <laughs> <laughs> well I just felt like I was like you know again I was like I'm not that much older than these kids but like uh I, was I didn't like, realize at
1: the time though just for the record yeah oh well I guess
0: <laughs> I guess I pulled it off pretty well um I, I faked the air of uh of authority uh, uh <laughs> uh-huh. all right um but yeah it was just you know it's what I love about that program is that it really gets you into I don't know the culture and that you know like Jerry said you know you're you're doing a homestay so you get the homestay experience and then also the the independent study project at the end of of uh the semester that every student does basically each student gets a a month to research and write about whatever they want um and what what did you write about, Jerry? Do you? Uh, I, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I wrote about um, the Himalayan shamanism up in Ladakh with the Ladakh right, oracles. Yeah. and uh, Ladakh is, is like it. You know, I, I've actually I've been now to over thirty countries, and Ladakh is by far the most epic place I've ever been. Hands down, <laughs> remains the best place I've ever seen.
0: No That's doubt. awesome. Yeah. Me too. I mean, so yeah. I I did not go to Ladakh with you, uh, but I. You know, I'd previously, that's where I did my independent study project was in Ladakh as well. And uh, I th- i remember now, I feel like I was like, yeah, Jerry, you should go to uh, Ladakh. <laughs> it's, <yeah, fair laughs> it's, no, it it's
1: funny you say that because I remember I was, I was, uh, I don't recall the other idea I had, but I was like thinking of doing this or going to Ladakh. Like we think about Ladakh, and I remember you were like yeah. really blunt. You were like, Ladakh is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, let's go to Ladakh. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, and yeah. it still is. I mean, to be honest, and, Uh, I mean, you've, by now you've definitely traveled, well, you know, way more countries than I have. Um, but to be honest, I mean, when I look back at my travels, um, and, uh, you know, Ladakh is like, if I could only go back to one place out of all the places I visited, uh, you know, Ladakh would be, would be the one. It's really incredible. Definitely. And for those of you just... Uh, you don't know that Ladakh is the most northern part of India. Uh, It's uh, right up between the borders of Pakistan and China. Uh, One of the most heavily militarized places in the world. (laughs) Uh, But it's basically the culture there is uh, Tibetan. And it's pretty much like it's the closest that you can get to being in Tibet without actually being in Tibet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then also the really fascinating thing about Ladakh why I really love it, uh, is because it's the meeting place of the Tibetan and Islamic world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you can actually, uh, meet and there are, are actually ethnically Tibetan Muslims that live, uh, in this part of the world. And it's like, culturally they're, you know, Tibetan, they speak like a Tibetan language, but, uh, religiously they're Muslim. So it's a pretty unique place, pretty unique place.
1: Yeah, it, it it's utterly unreal. I mean, it's it's uh, like thirteen thousand feet above sea level, mm-hmm. and then you have the twenty thousand foot Himalayan peaks all around, and it's desert. The water's turquoise, and all the mountains are like pink and yeah. pastel colors. And there's like these epic monasteries. Uh, the one from Samsara, the film. Oh Tikal, yeah, Tikal or not Tikal, I'm sorry, uh, Tixay, Tixay Monastery.
0: Oh, yeah, Tixay Monastery. Yeah.
1: And, like, just, I mean, every moment you're there, it's like you are just feel you're in, like, a cinematic epic movie on the moon, Star Wars or something. I mean, it's just, like, you're like, where am I? Wow.
2: Yeah. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. And, actually, yeah, people do kind of, like, call it, like, the land of the moon or so, something kind of yeah. silly yeah. like that. That it, it is, But the landscape is, like is like incredibly lunar. Um, so yeah, if, if anybody ever has a chance to go to Ladakh, uh, definitely, definitely take that opportunity. Um, so, well, so Jerry, you've traveled over, uh, 30 different countries. Um, and so what has led you to, uh, to travel that much?
1: Good question. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of been a number of, of different things. Like, um, one was basically just wanting to do it, you mm-hmm. know, and then when I, I was in India and in Nepal and Bhutan half the time with you, uh, and I just getting exposed to it in that level, I realized like, okay that it's actually not as difficult as it may appear to be. And mm-hmm. living in the United States on a lot of levels might actually be more expensive than traveling to a lot of these places because of, you know, depending where you travel and how you travel and this kind of thing. But uh, I first was able to do it because um, right after I graduated college, I started working with uh, my now ex-girlfriend, Kate Rowdenbush, who's like a, a Burning Man artist mm. who builds giant steel sculptures. Oh wow! And uh, we—I started. We got a gig building one, um, one sculpture for a festival called Mysteryland. Land, and so I got paid by Mystery Land, which was cool because we actually ins- we built this giant sculpture called a wishing tree. You can find it on the internet; it's really beautiful, and magical. Mm-hmm. We installed it on the Woodstock grounds, um, actually close to where I'm at right now. It's at Bethel Woods, where the original Woodstock festival happened. Oh, cool! And then we got paid to take it over to Amsterdam. <laughs>
0: And yes.
1: uh, went over to Mystery Land at Amsterdam. Very interesting experience. <laughs> it's, like, it's like EDM music. It's like you know, not the kind of music I like. A lot of electronic music, like a lot of it. But the music there I was not into. They have this stuff called like hard style.
0: Uh huh.
1: And it's like it's like dun 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 dun. You know, just like nonstop. It's like what I don't know. It's like heavy metal electronic music. It's hard uh-huh. to explain. Uh huh. Yeah. Anyways, though, so we got got to go there, and then uh. You know, we, I just kind of hopped around uh, Europe a little bit with her, then made my way over to Turkey with her. Mm. And then she went back home. And on that trip, I wound up going to Egypt and Jordan and Israel, just oh, wow. kind of like on a whim, you know, for a couple weeks. And then what happened was a few months later, we got paid again by Mysteryland to go down to South America. And we brought the sculpture to Chile because they had a festival in Santiago, Chile. Oh, wow. And... I went down to Argentina a week early, then kind of hopped around there, went out to Santiago, Chile, then went up to Peru and Ecuador and, you know, had all kinds of adventures of, of many sorts throughout South America. And yeah, I think traveling in a lot of ways is kind of like a drug where it's like, yeah. you once you just get a taste, you're like, whoa, this is just amazing. Like, I just got it. Like, you know, what is this all about? And, uh, like, you know, just, it became like a forefront. I I felt like just setting the intention of I'm going to do this because I want to experience other cultures. I want to experience what it's like to see these places, go visit sacred sites, go see, you know, the Amazon jungle, the pyramids, things like that. And then simultaneously learn about the cultures. was always kind of oriented that way, which is what brought me to Nepal and India in the first place. And, uh, just having the desire to do it and arranging my life in order to do it. And then, so like I said, traveling is, is like a drug. It's just like, whoa, you know, like mm-hmm. this just like rush thrill kind of thing that all of a sudden you just realize that like the infinite adventure possibility, mm-hmm. uh, spontaneity, you know, like almost dangerous aspect of life is suddenly just like available to you. You yeah. know what I mean by that? And it's like, you don't need to be like a rock star. You don't mm-hmm. need to be someone famous. It's like you could just go somewhere and like yeah. things will happen to you that you would not believe. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's not like. And once you just once you, I came to an understanding about that uh, from time in India on my my time as a student, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of crazy things happened to me.
0: As it tends to do in India, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, but once I kind of like realized that it was just, I'm going to orient myself towards, you know, living in this way. And, and w- before we got cut off, I was already sharing about how I was traveling around with Mystery Land. I was sharing that,
0: right? Yeah. 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 You got that.
1: Yeah. And so, so I went through Europe, made my way over to Africa and the Middle East,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not very deep into Africa, just to Egypt, but Egypt's an amazing place, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we got paid to go out to South America and then I was kind of getting into music at this point. Like that was really something that I'd always wanted to do, but I was never trained in music. It was just mm-hmm. something that I kind of like started to do. I just started one day to play the didgeridoo of all mm-hmm. instruments. Oh,
0: wow. And
1: yeah. uh, we were, we were working at the mystery land festival and there was a woman named Lex Empress who was the, uh, like hostess, MC of the Mysteryland Festival for Chile, mm-hmm. and we became friends with her. And she's like, "Oh, you have a ditchery Do you should come up on stage with me? That'd be awesome." Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> come on upstairs. Come on, let's do that. And so then I. uh, I was like, okay, cool. So I, I got on the main stage at Mysteryland. There's some there's some cool photos of me like playing while well, did you do. I was like, beatboxing into the ditch while, awesome. she was, <laughs> while she was singing in front of all these Chilean kids coming over EDM music. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, that, and then from there, it was kind of just like a whimsical, very much like uh, follow your bliss and the universe opens doors type situation where I just kept finding my way into... Um, opportunities to share music and also to travel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been a part of a a community in New York called the golden drum community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we have a teacher here named Maestro Manuel Rufino. He's a Taino elder Mm -hmm. and a teacher of initiatic studies, you know, things rooted in yoga, meditation, nutrition, uh, community building, art, Mm -hmm. wellness, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I got the opportunity to travel a lot with him, Um, got to travel with other students who work with him, uh, sharing music, doing sound meditation um, all over the United States doing that. Got to go to Canada with him, got to go out to England, to Poland, um, to Spain, and also with my wife now, who's name is, stage name is the Shell Prisma. Mm -hmm. And we've been basically like touring around the country for the past I don't want. I'd say since uh, the end of 2016, so I mean, wow. Kind of, yeah, I mean, we obviously we haven't been anywhere in a year, right? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I, I was pretty much nonstop on the road with her. We were just going around, sharing music, uh, teaching meditation, doing all kinds of workshops and things like that. It's funny, actually. You know, um, the last concert we played uh, was actually at Naropa Institute. Oh, nice. Yeah, which which is funny because we're both you know, we linked up through Tibetan Buddhism, which is also what inspired, I think, you to reach out to me about doing this podcast, so.
0: Yeah, 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 it's, um uh, Jerry posted, uh, it was a book by Robert Thurman, right, that, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, on Facebook, and I was like, oh, Jerry would be great to have on the podcast, and uh, so we reached out to him, and uh, here we are, and um, yeah, Robert Thurman is a pretty, interesting character um i have to say and like Uh he i've met him a few times uh i actually like went to his office and like when i first moved to new york because i'd like didn't know what the fuck i was doing uh (laughs) but like i emailed him and you know i told him he i'm new hubert de who's the guy that founded the study abroad program that uh jerry and i met on and he was like oh i love hubert yeah come on by um, but you know, met him, talked to him, and I was like, yeah. So you think I could get a job doing anything with Tibetan studies around? And he's like, eh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, cool. Well, nice to meet you. Uh, but like, since then, it's it's been I don't know. It's because for a long time, you know, I was very much approaching Tibetan studies with an academic lens, and uh, like, you know, wasn't really so concerned about like practicing it and everything and so sort of the the what i'd heard in like the tibetan studies like academic scene which is a scene very much a scene (laughs) um Uh, and i can't wait for them to like find this podcast and probably put like a flatwa on me uh but like (laughs) uh but you know, he's, he's basically this is like Robert Thurman's like kind of lost his mind. <laughs> oh really? Huh. Yeah. But I think in an academic sense, uh, like, okay. cause that's like, you know, he, like sure. he was like a very much like an academic, you know, he's one, he, one of the first Western people to, you know, study Tibetan Buddhism in an right, academic right. way. Like, yeah. you know, uh, no question about that. And his, his, con his academic contribution to the field, like there's no denying, there's no denying that, but, uh but now you know he's he's like a practitioner now and I've heard him speak a couple times once at the Rubin um like for just staff but more recently I was listening to Duncan Trussell's podcast and he was on recently and I always like when he starts going he's I'm always like okay I'm kind of having trouble following you right now but then like when he gets on he's just on and i'm oh, like sure. i'm like oh my god everything you you're saying right now is so so right and like I, the one thing i'll never forget about he he was talking about love uh at the ruben or rather talking about power and he was just like you know power uh power in the buddhist sense really is just love mm. um and you know w- us in this culture when we hear the word love, we're like, Ooh, love, you know, and it's kind uh-huh. of like, sort of, you know, it's like saccharine, like, you know, overly sweet. Um, but really he's like, love is an expression of power. And he's like, look at what happened to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus was like, you know, I love you to his captors and was killed and became way more powerful like through his act of love like in the history of mankind like probably became the most powerful person (laughs) you know in a lot of ways so uh yeah i don't know i think robert thurbin is is awesome um and you know as as i get deeper into my own type of practices i i'm i'm beginning to like really appreciate uh his insight um but I, I did want to go back and talk sure. to you a little bit about, I don't know, just I'm just curious what it's like to, or if you could uh, highlight, like, kind of what it's like to, like, live in, a, like, a spiritual community. Because I think, like, a lot mm-hmm. of people, like, you know, that's, uh, for a lot of people that will be listening, like, that's something that's, like, pretty foreign to them. And, uh, you know, so I'd, I'd love to hear. I mean, I'm assuming you like it because you've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, but, uh-huh. but if you have any other, like, you know, if uh, downsides to it, maybe even two would be inter, uh, interesting, but like, yeah, just if you could talk a little bit about that. I think. Yeah, that'd be great. definitely.
1: Um, you know, one thing that's really unique about our community is, is how we have an elder guiding it, you know, mm. he's a highly recognized teacher in his tradition. Yeah. Uh, and has, you know, he's, he started communities in, in Poland and Canada. um, Obviously, New York, Puerto mm. Rico, Hawaii, and this and that. So it has. There's a lot of tradition, like embedded into it. And mm. um, you know what uh, the the teacher of my teacher's teacher, he said that living in community for two years is is uh, personal growth that you would experience in 20 years mm. uh, because it's challenging. Like it's yeah. really, really challenging. It's it's so funny because I remember I was at a music festival a couple of years ago playing music for there. And I remember people were like, yeah, let's get together. There was a, you know, a, a workshop of people wanting to have communion, You're like, let's get land, you know, let's, what does it, steps does it take to do this? And, you know, you can, you can see the, like the idealism and like, uh, you know, I don't want to say like naivete, but mm-hmm. like, on some level that is there of like, let's do this. But then, um, like, wow, it's work. Like it's, it's difficult. It's the most like triggering, um, you know, it requires such a level of discipline, especially, mm-hmm. you know, not just to live in community, but to live in a spiritual community where where the, the emphasis and the way that we gather is with, around the intention of like living in like a meditative, prayerful, conscious way mm-hmm. where the focus is like. Okay, certain behaviors are not like welcome here. Like you know, for instance, like no drugs, no alcohol.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, sw- no swearing. Every now and then, someone swears. and happens. <laughs> <laughs> You
2: know,
1: there, there's an eph- and, like an emphasis on like practices on yoga. The main focus of uh, our our tradition, I would say, is is karma yoga, is service to, uh, to other people. Mm-hmm. And so, a huge aspect of it is learning to transcend your personal needs to be in benefit towards others Mm -hmm. and the community for instance like in the native traditions uh where a lot of teachings that you know we have embodied as a community have come from because we work a lot with different native traditions Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of elders that have come and worked with us uh the idea is that in the native traditions the community is the monastery Mm -hmm. so we're not like necessarily a monastic community we're not necessarily in a monastery right but it is a monastery it's just Mm -hmm. it's like more like a indigenous type version of that you could say i'm hesitant to say that but you know indigenous yeah. for all indigenous to the earth at the end of the
0: day yeah right right yeah.
1: Um, but like you know what what it's like is it's this really magical thing where at certain moments you are completely overwhelmed if not almost all of the time <laughs> 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 because something is always happening you know what i mean like someone, yeah. there's someone upset about something there's something amazing, but then simultaneously, there's something amazing happening. Like Mm. all of a sudden, everyone's coming together to do music. Everyone's coming together to share food. Everyone's coming together to work on the farm. Everyone's coming together to put on an event. And then you have to have tremendous flexibility. And this has been a really powerful teaching that uh, I've gotten from my teacher, Maestro Manuel, is that yoga is not postures. Yoga is is the internal flexibility. It's an internal posture Mm. about how flexible can you be and adaptable to the, what the needs of the present moment and also to the needs of others, because, and this is something that, uh, you know, just to round it back to what Robert was talking about, like compassion and service to other people being like the principal focus of life and, and how we need to orient ourselves and operate. And, you know, when you're in that, that mix, you find yourself caught up all of a sudden in like the most amazing creative project you've ever been involved in. And like, you would never have been able to do it on your own. And then also you find yourself in so many situations of like interpersonal drama, mm-hmm. politics, like total just like someone like whoa, why is this person behaving like this? I'm all <laughs> i like like what is what are we doing? Like what is what is happening right now? I'm sitting what am I sitting through? What am I listening to? But yeah. then also you learn to hold tremendous space. Like you remain you, you really train yourself how to speak, when to speak, and like what to say to keep mm-hmm. silent, you know, really how to keep a mindfulness about how you engage with people. It's really taught me a lot about how to become more socially conscious in terms of my interactions with people. Yeah. Um, every, you know, moment you're getting, uh, you know, you're, you're outside of your comfort zone. There's, there's not really ever a comfort zone. That's like the essence of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's why a lot of people, I think, have like this idealized version of like community, but then when you get in it, you're like, yeah, because <laughs> it's like you have to really embrace like not being comfortable, um, especially when you're involved in like deep practices. If you're doing deep meditation, yoga, you know, if you're doing fasting, all these kind of things, it's like because you're doing this really intense inner work, and then all of a sudden there's like people asking you to do newsletters, asking you to take out the trash. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and it's like it, it's not something that's normal for people in our culture to have to do that. And it makes you just have to drop a lot of things. Like you're just like, okay, like, um, you know, I really wanted to do that. It really, it really eats on your desires.
3: Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's really, really fascinating the way that you put it and like, just talking about like, you know, the, the idealism of like, Oh yeah, it's like, it's a community. We're all here together, but it's like, you know, everybody that comes into the community is like, you know, all these people with, you know, like nobody's perfect. Right. You know, it's like everybody has their own baggage. Everybody has their own triggers. Um, And it also made me think about this idea of renunciation uh, in a way and how There are different levels to renunciation and, uh, you know, like, of course, you know, you're married, you didn't, you're not celibate, (laughs) you know, uh, (laughs) like, so that's something you didn't renounce, but like, there are other things that you have renounced. And even, I think that can apply to all different levels. And even my main meditation teacher, uh, you know, described even just like the act of sitting down for meditation as being a renunciation,
1: yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, uh, I think the more that I've really studied the deeper texts like the Dhammapada and the Tao Te Ching and the Bhagavad Gita and really like meditated on them over the years, what I've really discovered, and, you know, some of them were obvious than others now we state this, but the renunciation is really an internal thing.
0: Yeah, um,
1: And the Dhammapada, I think it, it really explicitly says this, I don't recall the passage, but something along the lines that like, you know, it's, it you can walk with matted hair and clay over your body and tend to the sacred fire for thousands of years or whatever. But, you know, if you haven't actually come to the way inside of yourself, then what good is it? And that that's kind of the meditation, I think, of how our community operates is that, you know, uh, there's this thing Joseph Campbell talked about where he said something like uh, joyful participation in the world of sorrows, where we embrace what's happening in life. We participate fully in it and we engage in it. You know, this is karma yoga and get engaging mm-hmm. in action, you know, in mm-hmm. action towards what's happening. Uh, and through the engagement, learning to just sort of drop whatever it is that you're clinging to in terms of, you know, personal needs uh, in terms of your desires, your aversions, And that's what, that's where the medicine of the community comes in because you know, you might come into the community having all these ideas about what you want to do with your time and things like that, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you find that the community is um, demanding a lot from you at certain moments. Yeah, and then that becomes a really powerful like inner struggle where you could totally fight against it, but then it's also like, well, why are you here? You know, like what yeah. made you sign up for it? Yeah. and then and then what happens is you just there's a moment where it, it sort of just takes you. And then you give yourself to it. And what I found is that, like, it makes you let go of a lot of things, like you say, renunciation. Mm -hmm. And then you, but you step into something that's more like holistic and more balanced and more grounded and more healing and Mm. more unified and more empowering, also. Like, totally so. And that's a really fascinating process to be involved in because. Oftentimes, uh, we think that it's going to do the opposite Mm -hmm. and there's, and there's a moment in the process where it, it appears to be doing that. Like there's been a lot of times where, um, doing like construction work or farm work, things Mm -hmm. that are like really like you know, blue collar work type stuff. It's just like, it's, they're not like idealized fantasy jobs. Like I'm not like a rock star on the mystery land stage. You're not playing the
0: didgeridoo in front of thousands (laughs) of people. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, but at the same time though, you know, um, there's a moment though where it's like putting yourself in that position guides you into a place where you're able to, connect to something that's either more rewarding or more empowering than what your you know, fantasy rock star type situation might be
2: mm, yeah. uh,
1: beckoning to you. And all of a sudden there's something about it that's like really, really heart centered. Mm. And you're just like, Oh, this is, this is really like wholesome. This feels like really good. This is really what I've been actually searching for. And right. it, it, it challenges, you know, this idea that like, chasing after my desires is really an actually fulfilling endeavor. Mm. Like, wait a minute. Okay. To, to go against, you know, the the desire system and to be in service towards others actually activates this true, like transcendence, this like liberated state. And like what well, you said, there's different degrees of renunciation. There's, there's different degrees of like liberation, you know, that's how I, that's, my teachers always said that. He's like, you know, like, yeah. it's not really like some place you get to. It's just like, something that's kind of happening just sort of get more aware of it as you go on. Right. I, he puts it in a different way, but that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I would say that, you know, in those moments where if we give something up, like something else comes to us in return for that. And it, there's a, a level of peace and harmony that like permeates through us and, you know, beyond us that we're able to connect to by doing that stuff. And, um, yeah, it's like, uh, it's it's a very it's a very profound process because you start to realize like okay like how deep how far can I take this and where does this path really go It's it's a yeah. very interesting unfolding.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sound the way you're describing it does sound <laughs> incredibly profound, and also like I don't know, really interesting again because like just. You know, of course, I think a lot of this is just like Western, you know, misconceptions of, you know, of Eastern practices. But like uh-huh. we, we think a lot of in terms of like, you know, meditation as being like a solo practice or like we or we like carve out where like this is our spiritual little niche over here that we like dip into from time to time you know, yeah. to make us feel better, to make us like, you know, calm right. or whatever. But like, but what's so awesome about the way that you describe living in this community is like, you know, it really just like forces you to like, be like every moment is practice. And it's like, yes. <laughs> and, and, and everybody, everybody can do that. Like, you know, whether they're living in a community or a spiritual community or not, like, you know, you can still, you know practice uh you know a lot of these things is just dealing with your you know with everyday life and dealing with the people in your life and you know even dealing like you know i just thinking about is it's interesting too cuz you're talking about community and it's like you know of course we're a year into this uh covid pandemic at this point and like i think a lot of people are feeling separate from their community sure um but, I, you know, I think just even just in your interpersonal relationships, whatever, uh, whatever, you know, however many there are, it's like there's still like all this wealth of opportunity to like really practice your awareness and your in uh, your reactions and like un- trying to understand your reactions like like, OK, so like, you know why this person said something. That really pissed me off. Like, why did that piss me off? You know, uh-huh. and like, you know, it's just uh, so I think, yeah, it, it's just pretty, pretty incredible the, the way that you described, again, like how living in this community is really like enhanced your, your, your spiritual progress. Um, it's it's really super cool. Um, but I did want to ask you too. Um, so I know that you've done a, a Vipassana retreat. Uh-huh and i mean i kind of feel a little silly saying because i miss i'm mr buddhism over here and it's like you know oh yeah everybody knows what vipassana is but like i've always been a little confused i think i know what it is but like because i've never done a vipassana retreat and okay. uh generally i've like the type of practice that i teach and that i do myself is what i call shamata which is like the the beginning stage it's like generally in traditional Buddhism, it's like shamatha and then Vipassana. So uh-huh. I was just wondering in, in your words, if you could describe what, uh, like your experience with Vipassana and also just your experience with the retreat. Uh, Cause again, like I'm, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm more of a meditation teacher, you know, for people that are just starting out meditation. Right. And oftentimes I do like talk to people about like, <laughs> or I just mentioned, I'm like, no, you shouldn't like go on a Vipassana retreat. You should just try to meditate five minutes every day, you know, but on the other hand, like I do want to hear like your side of like what that intense experience was like. And, uh, yeah, just, just really curious about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I, the first time I did it was actually right after we finished the retreat in Mm -hmm. off, uh, and, what I did was I went to Lumbini.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, you did which, it in Lumbini, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah which is cool. the
1: birthplace of the Buddha. And mm-hmm. it was funny because I, I had done a Buddhist pilgrimage as a project in India. And the first program I was on, I went to Bodh Gaya, Sarnath, and Krishnagar. Although I went in reverse order. went to Krishnagar, to Sarnath, to Bodh Gaya. Which is, I went from the death place to the first sermon life. I don't, I don't know why I did it backwards. I have a tendency to do a lot of things backwards in my life. I'm a very backwards person.
0: It's just your karma. It's just your karma.
1: <laughs> I've been trying to figure it out for some time. And then I, I wound up in Lumbini uh, months later at the birthplace, which is a super beautiful uh, location. Mm-hmm. So I did, I did the vipassana, which you know was uh, started in the way that is now by S.N. Goenka, who was a, a business guy. Businessman in India, and mm-hmm. I think in Mumbai he came from, and then he was suffering from like severe migraine headaches. And so he went to Burma to learn the technique of Vipassana. It was said to be, you know, passed directly to the teachers in Burma for you know, thousands of years, directed line from the Buddhas about the Gautama. And so I went there. Um, you know, I used to, I was struggling like really deeply with anxiety from the years of 2008 in the fall until. Probably, I mean, I didn't really fully get rid of it until like 2014. I feel like it was like an ongoing process. It just wasn't really fun, mm-hmm. and so I was really that's what really got me into like you know spiritual practice and Buddhism in particular. This idea of like, okay, one can just find inner peace inside themselves. You know, irrespective of what's happening in the environment. It's like, Oh, that sounds wonderful.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would have to say that's probably the reason why I did it too. <laughs> you know, because yeah, I mean, like, yeah,
1: this is this is like modern life, right? I mean, like we've been like conditioned into like being in machines and being totally, uh, warped away from the natural world and, mm-hmm. and our, our, physical bodies is our, like, you know, I, I've studied a lot of stuff recently with things like with Wim Hof, with breathing and things like that. And just about how, you know, cold mm-hmm. water exposure and ex- doing things with fasting and stuff like this and realizing how much like our nervous system has been conditioned yeah. artificially by these fake environments. And we've become really out of balance and out of whack because of this. And, uh, so doing disciplines like Vipassana and the like cold water and fasting and these kind of things, that's super powerful for this, like reactivating and reinvigorating what's happening inside of us. And you find like anxiety is so much a byproduct, of just being too comfortable. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's really what like most of the problems of like Western culture or just modern culture in general, it's not really East and West. It's really just like comfort at the end of the day. Like, we're just addicted to comfort.
0: Yeah. Um, I do, go ahead, yeah. Well, I do want to hear about your Vipassana, but I just wanted to interject really quick and just say that I, I have actually recently been fasting and experimenting with that for the first time and uh I've been doing intermittent fasting to uh lose weight. <laughs> but uh also I've 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 added uh basically one day a week I do like um well like a 24 hour. I mean it's more than a 24 hour but it's like generally like 36 hour fast. Um and it's just yeah, it's been really you know, I wanted to do it because of the physical benefits, but the mental benefits, and just like, oh, it's the, powerful. It's really, it's been yeah. really, really powerful in terms it's of radical. just, yeah, just being like, wait, I can go 40 hours and not eat and feel okay. Like, yeah, I mean,
1: I I've yeah, you're in, you're in,
0: yeah oh, and oh, so oh. like, uh, and and also just in terms of building up confidence of being like, you know, I wow, well, I have the d- discipline to do this. Uh-huh. Um and yeah and by the end of it too I just like feel really good and it, I really do think it elevates my mood and helps you know kill off some anxiety.
1: Yeah, I mean it. It definitely just brings you to like a higher state of consciousness for sure. I mean, I I think there, there's a process after about uh 36 out no, after 24 hours. Autophagy. If I'm pronouncing yeah, I think it it's it's
0: yeah. A, yeah, autophagy. From what I've heard, yeah, it takes about twenty four hours. Yeah,
1: yeah, and all of a sudden your body starts to eat itself, and and it's just like there's a natural cleaning that needs to take place in the system, like a mentally, emotionally, physically. It's just like there's toxins and things that build up just from the stress of everyday life and whatever circumstances and crappy food we eat, um, and yeah fasting is awesome i mean highly recommend i i I do at least like one
3: 24-hour fast uh, every week it's just like a way of just like resetting and keeping everything clean in the nervous system
0: yeah how what's the longest fast you've ever done 10 days oh wow yeah uh very little water um and
1: yeah i mean just like you walk you walk away from that feeling uh totally transformed and mm-hmm. a completely different perspective on life, you know, and, wow. that, that, and it's funny cause that's the same time period of, of the Vipassana. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 So, it
1: is. uh, there must be something with the 10 days. Mm-hmm. So with, with, um, with the Vipassana, uh, what's great about it is you're doing 12 hours of meditation a day and there's no reading, there's no writing, there's no talking, there's no listening to music. There's nothing but meditation, uh, most of it is done through a tape recording,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then there is an hour-long, hour and a half, hour-long Dharma talk by Sengleika, who passed away in twenty
2: thirteen,
1: mm-hmm. uh, where he you know, describes teachings of the Buddha and then his take on the practice and things you know the student encounters while engaging in it. And the idea is you're living like a, in a monastics, a real Buddhist monastic setting for ten days. Mm-hmm. And you eat twice a day, you get up at 4 a.m. The food thing's kind of funny that we're talking about fasting because they give you can eat as much as you want. When I was in Nepal, they didn't have um, a ton of food, it was mm. a little more on the low side. When I did it in the United States, though, it we was like, guys, I'm just <laughs> like how many types of salad dressing do we need in typical, <laughs> typical
0: American fashion? Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. This is, this is what I'm saying, right? Like, you go, like modern culture is like comfort, it's like, let me have like eight types of bread, and it's
3: like yeah do, do we really <laughs> it's need pasta,
1: that yeah yeah. <laughs> it's totally wacky, but, yeah but nonetheless like the, the practice regardless of what center you go to in the world is exactly the same so that's something that's cool the food differs but it's not that different it's vegetarian everywhere you go um and doing you wake up at 4 a.m you know you're doing and you have these three sits uh i think after the fourth day where you have, you, for an hour, you don't open your legs, your arms, your eyes, the all this fierce determination sits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my first time going, like I said, I was, for me, I was going there to like just understand, like, what's up with like, the reason I'm dealing with anxiety. And it's funny, just to backtrack for a second, when we were in Ladakh. I went to go see this Ladakhi oracle shaman, nothing the him that is. And, uh, you know, they're, they're sucking. Uh, Plasma and blood and stuff out, out of the patients in mm-hmm. public and in the ceremony without breaking the skin through these straws and like yeah. spitting it out and stuff. It's you know totally wild thing. And I had my my interpreter ask a question for me. You know, telling I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety. What can I do to overcome that? And I was like, oh, maybe she's gonna like you know, suck out the deep, <laughs> you know, with the energetic blockage that I'm struggling with. Yeah. And she just says that I need to, I need to pray more to Guru Rinpoche to give me the strength to overcome it. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, oh, I, was hoping, I was hoping she was going to like, you know, just, just fix it, but it's not that simple. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Never. Uh, really. No, but you know, that, that was, the, but that, that kind of was the truth. That was true. There was deep truth in that statement of just like realizing like, you know, this is just something probably like I inherited in a lot of levels, like, from cultural conditioning and just mm-hmm. like the environment of being raised in this kind of way and dealing with these circumstances. And like, you know, there was just a moment, where you just like, need to just deal with it. Yeah. And that's what I think Vipassana really trained me to do. Cause, you know, we would, there's sits where you go for two and a half hours. You're allowed to move if you need to. You can stand up, get out. There's not really anywhere to go. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I remember when I first started it, I couldn't sit still for 10 minutes. It was mm-hmm. just within 10 minutes, I was in pain. it It just hurt it sucked and i was like oh great nine and a half more days 12 hours (laughs) day i can't sit still for 10 minutes and it was excruciating and i remember just being like you're just confronted with like an aspect of yourself that at at that time i remember it was like kind of frightening you know because you're just realizing like whoa there's this much pain inside of me and i remember my current teacher my well talking about you know uh with stuff like with the vision quest talking about how like there's a moment where you're you are looking at it you're experiencing a level of pain you just have to ask yourself like how deep does this go like oh mm-hmm. my god there's just like what is inside of me that is in so much pain <laughs> and the main teaching of vipassana is, is uh equanimity of just finding uh, a balance between the struggle that you're you're going through where you're neither craving a sensation other than what you have, nor mm-hmm. you're generating aversion towards what's presently there. So you're just allowing things to be as they are and you're going into the felt experience sensations of the body. Mm. And I remember, um, like I said, I couldn't sit still for more than 10 minutes mm-hmm. on the first day. And by the end of it, I could sit still for 40 minutes and, mm that was hard. It was like, you know, I felt like I was about to break a bone just because I wanted to move so badly. Yeah. And, um, one interesting thing that happened on that, uh, on that retreat was, uh, there was a guy, uh, who farted during the, during the sit. <laughs> <laughs> and the men were on one side and the women were on the other. And like, you know, I've been in several sits where were, you know, that someone farts. In the yeah. Meditation. So it's like, that funny but for some reason what was funny was on the men's side of the of the dharma Hulks, and men and the women are separated all you could see each other if you were to look over all of a sudden you just hear like a snicker like, <laughs> 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 and then you heard another another dude was like, <laughs> and, like, and, like it just, and then it spread and then we all started laughing so hard that we all had to get out of the room because we were being so disruptive. Like, we, we were, like, dying laughing. And then we were not supposed to make eye contact, and we, like, looked at each other. And we were, like, in tears laughing so much. And I swear to God, that was, like, one of the most spiritual experiences I've ever had, like, in, in the past in the center was that moment. Wow. <laughs> Just well, to share something lighthearted about Yeah,
0: that. no, that's awesome. <laughs> that's incredible, yeah. And, like, I think there is this sort of – uh you know particularly for again for westerners like who are familiar with you know with a lot of this stuff like the one thing that always was like kind of interesting to me like going and watching like the tibetan like pujas or rituals or stuff is how like you know you go in and you're you know as a Westerner you're like oh my god i need to be very quiet and like uh-huh. i mean you, you, you
3: by you all do. means you do, yeah.
0: do you do yeah, need yeah. to be respectful? Like, sure, you should absolutely. be respectful, yes, for sure. But it's like throughout the formality of this, like, ritual, like, there's a level of informality that's like r- really interesting to see. Um, mm-hmm. particularly in Tibetan culture, and like, I don't know, like, I when I went on my uh retreat and I was, uh, you know, initiated into the Havajra Tantra through the Sakya lineage. uh, You know, there's like, I often sit next to this Tibetan woman and she just like had like, you know, her eight-year-old son who was just like on the iPad the whole time, (laughs) you know, like, you know, it's just like, and (laughs) it's, it's, yeah. So it's just really, you know, it's like in these communities, in these rituals, in these experiences, you know, there's, there's moments of of kind of brevity and uh, yeah. and informality that sort of break it down in a nice way. Another example uh, that in, in my retreat was, uh, you know, it was a tantric initiation, so it's like supposed to be you know super secret. Uh, though you can like read about what I did in a book, well, like well, don't break your vows. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm not uh, at least I don't think I am. But um, the. I feel okay with saying this because, again, you can read about this process in a book. Um, I'm not sharing my own personal experience so much. But uh, there's one part where, you know, you put on a crown, basically. All the initiates put on a crown. And so here we are at our super secret initiation. I put on my crown and I'm sitting next to some Chinese people and they just whip out their phones and start taking selfies like <laughs> oh, yeah. like in the middle of this <laughs> super secret initiation and I was just like this is, this is funny <laughs> like, yeah,
1: yeah. So modern culture like mixing with like the ancient things it's just like a, it's a funny thing
0: yeah and I mean like yeah, you know I could have like I feel like I could have been like a dick about it and been like oh hey I'm like in this like super I'm secret initiation <laughs> like you know like yeah like you're disrupting the power of this transmission or whatever. But, uh, but, you know, it's like, it's, it's just kind of how it is. It's like, you know, and, and it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Like, again, it's like, there's a fine line, you know, you definitely have to be respectful, but it's like also like not taken so seriously.
1: But this is also, you know, just, this is perfect. Cause this is also so much of like, what is wonderful about living in a spiritual communities, because like this line between the sacred and daily life and the profane gets really uh, blurry. Mm, like, yeah. and that's like, I think that's part of the intention. Like the, the huichole in Mexico, um, for them, they don't have like a word for ceremony <laughs> because for them, like they say life is a ceremony. Their life is a ceremony. That's cool. Uh, like the idea is that the, the, everything they're doing is like, is encompassed within that. It's not like, Oh, we, we go there to be sacred. You know, that's where we go to be like prayerful. It's mm-hmm. like, no, like everything we're doing encompasses that. And, and, and our prayer also encompasses like, you know, crazy wisdom and goofy things, and like you know, things that are definitely like, "What well, that's not sacred." Oh my God. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the wisdom you know, the wisdom you gleamed from that man's fart is. Uh, is <laughs> yeah, is,
1: I mean, it, it I was laughing, and is laughter not the best medicine? I mean, you know, yeah, really
0: I mean that's a, that's incredible. Yeah, it just sounds like such like a wonderful like break, and uh I don't know. I mean, well. Mar- are, you, it's fam- just crazy,
1: yeah, Are you familiar
0: with Wilhelm Reich at all?
1: The name sounds very familiar. I must have heard some quotes or something. But.
0: Uh, so he was a Jungian Marxist psychoanalyst. Uh, or not Jungian. Oh man, I fucked that up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bad, bad. Uh, no, he was he was uh Freudian. I mean, he he was uh he was a student of Freud. Um, and uh his whole thing was basically like, you know, that the unconscious, what Freud described as the unconscious is actually the body in and our physical body. And so like, you know, our neuroses and things um, are basically, you know, ingrained in our musculature. Um, he's also big on uh, organite or orgone. Um, he discovered orgone, uh, if you'd heard of that. Um and yeah, so it just it just sounded like, to me, I don't know, it's like you kind of like, there might have been some hidden joy in your body during that process. And by, uh, you know, going through the motions of the Vipassana, Vipassana retreat, um, you know, you really tapped into it. But I think uh, now, uh, I think now would be a good time to meditate. So... Uh Jerry is going to be leading the meditation today. Um and we'll also be including um some music uh by uh him and his wife um that will be underneath the meditations. Um and I'll, of course I'll include um links to, you know, to all his music so you can check it out. Um and yeah, I mean Jerry, I think I'd hand it over to you. How 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 do we start this meditation? How should we be sitting?
3: Uh, I would say, well, it depends where you're at. If you're in a chair, you
1: can just sit upright. It's better to to keep the back straight up. Uh,
3: If you're sitting on the floor, good to go cross-legged.
1: Just want to take a moment just to feel our body from the inside out connect to our breath. Just feel the natural ebb and flow of the breath without
3: interfering in any way, and just allowing it to be. Just watching. And just taking a moment to observe whatever experience is arising within our field. Or thoughts or emotions, aches or things. And keeping that connection with the breath while doing so. And as we just watch what arises in our field, we want to just breathe into that experience fully and give it permission to be there, allow it to be there, and generating resistance towards it, more of the... Designed for something other than what is present to arise. Yeah, just recognizing that whatever is here, whether it's whether really relaxing or peaceful or it's something difficult, neither uh, do we have to label it nor do we have to get rid of it as everything's changing. And just recognizing that by being still in the midst of this change that's occurring, creates a lot more space, a lot more peace. It allows us to extricate our awareness from being too caught up in our story about ourselves. allowing each breath to bring us more deeply into the body. Feeling the felt presence of the body, the felt vibration of the body. Understanding that whatever it is that we've been looking for, that we've been working towards, striving for, is already inside of us. I don't have to find it where really connected to it. Patiently watching the breath rise and fall. And approaching all of our sensations, our thoughts, our emotions with perspective of um, the activity any kind of discomfort or agitation. This is a good exercise in cultivating willpower and firmness of mind, focus. And feeling the presence of the heart, strong focus on compassion. Life, yes. Through the transformation and power. The discipline is about keeping the heart open. Even in a place of comfort, difficulty, pain. And the choice to be happy no matter what is happening. And to bring our awareness into the heart centered space of this connection and this compassion and this joy and this happiness unconditionally. Happiness for no reason. Joy for no reason, peace for no reason, not dependent on our circumstances. Meditate on how we can emanate this outwards towards everyone and everything. How we can walk in a harmony with that emanation, meditating on how we can bring our intention and this compassion, this compassion, this patience, this joy, happiness into action for the benefit of all of us. as we're remaining steadfast, keeping connection with the breath. Allowing a deep smile to come across the face. We are all connected. Happiness is our natural fundamental essence. Things change is unchanged.
0: well thank you very much for that jerry no problem that was really excellent and it uh yeah (laughs) well yeah um a lot of tears came to my eyes um not i don't know not that i felt like particularly emotional but it's just sort of like it's just funny how like that's like the physio- physiological reaction you can like have sometimes when meditating
1: yeah i often feel like a lot of times with meditation in particular i'm caught up in a place between feeling like this like i was saying like the joy and the happiness but also like a lot of there is a lot of pain there's like you're caught up in this like this is, i feel like this is meditation is like you're embracing this paradox of life of like tremendous strife and suffering and difficulty And also just like, oh, being alive is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. You know, and and like there's just a
3: natural, like it's just, it's difficult, but also like beautiful.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it kind of reminds me too of like, again, what you said about living in a spiritual community and how it kind of all like, you know, everybody, you're forced to deal with everybody's dramas where I feel like a lot today and you know i've i've certainly done it i've certainly seen lots of people do it where they're like you know because we can be individualistic and isolated we're like i don't want to deal with this problem like i don't want to deal with this relationship problem right now i'm just gonna ignore it cut it off Mm -hmm. and
3: definitely
0: yeah and that to me as much as i still like that's kind of my natural inclination uh I, I do feel like generally that's a mistake, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, so what if you're going to get mad or if you're going to get somebody mad, or if you're worried about getting somebody mad, I mean, not as, as long as you're not like intentionally trying to like hurt them, you yeah. know, you have every right to express, you know, what you feel, um, uh, to that person. And, uh, So yeah, so it's like meditation again is like, yeah, learning to be okay with it all, being okay with, you know, not just the joy that is there, but also, you know, the drama and the strife. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that's, you know, what people expect from meditation is that it's going to just be, you know, like it increases the joy. Yeah. and reduces the the strife and it does like in but it doesn't increase the joy by just being like oh here you're going now you're magically you're just going to have an easy joyful life it's like it's no yeah. it increases your joy because it increases your tolerance and your ability to hold it all to hold all the highs and the lows um together at once and and to be grounded even in those emotional moments
1: yeah, and uh, to share one thing I want to share too uh, with the this kind of ties in you're talking about. The, the second time I went to go sit, uh, first time was in 2011, the second time was in 2014, and I remember on the around the sixth day uh, there was a sit, and at this point I, mean, I was able to sit now for about an hour pretty solidly without moving, consistently, mm-hmm. and there was uh, it's on the solstice I remember. Just in the, auspicious day mm-hmm. and they were giving the teaching of the vipassana and i remember i was sitting what happened was it must have been on the fourth day because they did the teaching of the vipassana specifically on the fourth day as i remember it mm-hmm. and i was sitting after for an hour then they started to play the recording and after an hour i was in a lot of pain i mean it just it hurt like a lot and yeah. then i remember mm-hmm. it, one moment it just felt like i was being stabbed like all in my entire body <laughs> like, like this is like this earth yeah. but I, I was focusing on the recording and i just kept listening to the words and you know they're, they're doing basically what, what, as i was talking about you feel the sensations equanimity mm-hmm. impermanence and there was a moment that where all of a sudden all the pain uh it was like it was on a coin and the coin flipped and all of a sudden instead of like being stabbed everything just felt like of swooping open, flowing vibration from my whole being. And it felt like I just like, it wasn't like a psychedelic experience. It was just like, like this, almost like mm. I was in a, a tight sh- Like I took off a tight shoe, something <laughs> something like that. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah. and like just feeling <laughs> the, and, like raptures. And I sat there by the time I moved again, it had been two hours. And I was like, whoa, I just sat still for oh. two hours. And,
0: yeah.
2: you know,
1: but then even after that, like there was pain, but it was like this, this thing of like being in this place of like rapture that came through the pain, <laughs> you know, it was, it wasn't yeah. like, it just, I wasn't just brought, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm meditating. I feel good. It was like, I had to go through this like excruciating ordeal and then yeah. was like in a state of like rapture from it. And then afterwards, you know, there was still pain, but it was like, it's, it you doesn't
3: know, matter.
1: I've released something. So. Uh, yeah. yeah that's that, that kind of encapsulates how i perceive the pasna. it's like it's very very difficult it's like it's raw in that respect but it also has like this quality where it can release you but then also very important to understand like the teaching they provide about you're not seeking this like mystical flowing experience because if you are in, you're in a place of craving right. the law of nature is that everything is changing so no matter how beautiful how mystical that first experience you're going to be Experiencing something else
3: eventually. Yeah. And this is life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important uh, to emphasize, particularly with meditation, because again, I think a lot of people come to meditation expecting like, uh, you know, something close to a psychedelic experience. Yeah, And I'm like, if you want that, maybe you should, if you want something more like a drug, maybe you should try, try Wim Hof. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, it, in Wim Hof's method is like that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. It's
0: great. I mean, I I don't, uh, I don't actively practice it, but I have like practiced it on and off. And I mean, I do a lot of other, um, breathing, like I've been practicing like Reikian breathing to, uh, getting back to Wilhelm Reich. Uh, but you know, it's just funny to me how like through everything I've ever studied when it comes to this stuff, just like how fundamental the breath is. And like yeah, basically Reich's theory is like the reason why we are, we have neuroses is breaking it down into like its most simplest form is like the reason why we all have, why we have neuroses and we are so neurotic and have psychological problems is essentially because we're, we don't breathe we're all like mm, chronically yeah, holding our breath um so mm. yeah so the breath so Wim Hof is great and uh I was glad to hear that you're you know you're doing the the saunas and the ice baths and but yeah before we oh, recorded yeah. I was uh, lamenting, um, expressing how jealous I was that uh, Jerry has access to Asana because that's that's really all I want in my life. <laughs> Speaking of desires, um, yeah. but uh, thank you so much for being here, Jerry. Uh, it's been great to reconnect with you, and uh, you know I really do appreciate your insights um, into you know all all the things that we covered. Um, but before we conclude. Uh, are there any last messages you want to get out there? Any, anything you want to plug, um, any shout outs you want to give?
1: Oh man. I mean, I probably have infinite number of shout Uh, so <laughs> one sound, if you're, I mean, if you're interested in some of the music I'm doing these days, uh, part of a group called dream seed, uh, mm-hmm. part of our community group, we just collaborated with, a um, Grammy nominated artist from Morocco named Samir Languis. Oh, wow. uh, there's some cool stuff, uh, we have, we're, we're in the process right now. Of, um, maybe working with a, uh, the name, I'm not going to say, the name the name, but we're in the process of working with a number of other different world musicians from some other cool places who are really renowned in their fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can check that out. Dreamseed and the community I'm a part of is called golden drum. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I actually started a, a podcast that I launched extremely recently. Um, oh, really? I recorded some stuff. Yeah, it's just it's more or less just me sharing my perspective on Dharma and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, things I've received from my teaching, from my teacher and other other teachers I've worked with. Uh, it's called Bodhi Speak. <laughs> it's cool. on a uh, it's on Apple Podcasts. You can check it oh. out. Uh, I'll probably have you, I'll probably have you come on the show since you did it for me.
0: Yeah, I'd love to anytime. Uh oh. you know, let me know. Let me know. Um well thanks again. Just Jerry. continue this conversation. Yeah, just continue this and go, go off. I'm sure, you know, this is just the beginning. We can go off into so many uh different crazy places. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought this was awesome and thank you for leading the meditation. Uh, you know, thank you for being here. Thank you for being my friend and uh to everybody out there. Um I'm trying to come up with a better sign off than stay mindful because that seems like such a (laughs) basic thing to say, but it's a good thing to say. So for now, until I think of something else, stay mindful, everybody. All right. Much love. See ya. Bye. Peace, peace. This has been another episode of meditating with friends. If you enjoyed this podcast, Check out my Instagram at Jeremy McMindfulness.